Hey, you filthy animals, fuckers, savages, heartbreakers, gunslingers, Second Amendment fans, lunatic fringe folks, right-wingers, and your errant lefty who may come along to get their heads set straight. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to the Greg Medford Show. I'm Greg, your host from Phoenix, Arizona. We have a guest in today, as I've been talking about for the last several months, uh, you know, this three-legged milk stool of America, you know, the people, we're relinquishing a little bit to the ruling class so they can kind of get it all done and make some battleships for us. And then uh, another group supposed to be the free and independent press supposed to speak truth to power. And uh, uh, as a, as that establishment has lost its way and become non-functioning, um, there have been folks who stepped up and there's citizen folks like me doing it. And there's other guys doing it independently. We've got AWR Hawkins in today from Breitbart News. Now, do you work for Breitbart directly or are you an independent who slings for them? No, I work directly for Breitbart. Okay, great. Well, welcome. Thanks for coming in today. Appreciate Thank you, you being buddy. here. Good to be with you. Got a tour through the factory and you don't live far, actually. So that right. was freakishly uh, convenient. Right. And freakishly awesome. I mean, uh, your knives are remarkable. The made in America from start to finish, the... The quality, I mean, absolute incredible, blew me away. It's kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's uh, a pleasure having you in. You know, I've been doing this about 10 years, and we finally shifted over to this more formal uh, podcast format. I've basically been railing on the infringement of rights. I've been railing on our states for relinquishing to the federal government. I've been railing on the federal government. Right. I've been railing on the politicians. I've been railing on fake right-wingers. I've been railing on left-wingers. I've been railing on China. And I feel like everybody's starting to come around the last couple right. of years, you know, because Trump came along and spoke my language. Right. In many ways, you know, he's a bit of a, <laughs> he's a little clumsy in a few other ways, but I love the guy. Um, talk to me about, uh, Tell us a little bit about your background uh, that kind of got you into writing as a as a profession. Right. Well, I I did a uh, master's in uh, American history with a focus on uh, Civil War navies, and then after that, I, oh, so you must have been titillated when that submarine thing popped up a few years uh, back, and we, they start pulling it out of the river. Well, we did a lot of studying on those subs, and then I did even more when I did my PhD. I did. Uh, a PhD with a focus on Vietnam War, U.S. Navy since inception, and the wars during the 1800s, and um, also early modern Europe. Uh, but uh, just when you're going through all that, I had a little trouble because I this is ironic. I went to school to get a uh, military history, a PhD in military history, and I would get in trouble for defending the military. I get in trouble for defending America, and uh, because at the college level, there's still all liberals in there. Yeah, 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 liberal. Uh, you know, we have a professor, for example, a professor introduced our troops as baby killers. You know, talking about Vietnam, whatever. Yeah, you know, it's so it's such an old and untested statement. And I would ask. I raised my hand. She she called. Okay, me. wait a minute. Where was that at? Uh, Texas Tech. I now, mean, if that can happen but, in Texas, Jesus, it's happening everywhere. Now, when I was at Texas Tech, USA Today did a poll and found that Lubbock was the second most conservative city in America at that time, but but their humanities department was the second most liberal. And so history's tucked into that. Right. 
but you know, they're baby killers, they're baby killers. And I raised my hand and I said, now, what would you do if the Viet Cong sent a kid to your front door and, or to your brother's front door when he opened it, they handed him a package and it blew up and she just sat there and I go, no, wait, wait, what, what if now they go to your other brother and they do that now, wait, they go to the gas station attendant and they do that. I just kept listening. Finally, I go, now they send a baby to your house. I go, do you open the door and greet him or do you open the door and shoot? She goes, well, by that point, I'll probably shoot. And I go, so quit calling our soldiers baby killers because this was a strategy of the Viet Cong. Right. It was guerrilla warfare. Right, right. And she, uh, she can learn. <laughs> yeah. But I'm just saying that I had a rough time through that. They tried to uh be sure that i didn't succeed and i had a man uh james reckner phd came up alongside me and i'll never forget he put his hand under my arm in the hallway one day he goes hawkins i got you and he shifted me from what i was studying he was the head of cold war studies at texas tech he shifted me to where my studies were on the things i mentioned he shifted me to vietnam to the u.s navy since inception to those wars of the 1800s he goes we're going to do this and we did it. And while that was happening, he goes, now you need to start writing. And I said, well, I said, these other professors have kind of made clear if I write, I could face, they, they're going to do all they can to keep those from getting published. He goes, nah. He goes, they fear me more than, uh, they fear me more than they hate you. That was his statement. And I began writing and formed that habit and then got out, taught in the university a couple of years, wanted to jump out of a window because it was the same experience as education had been. I couldn't get any upward mobility because of my views. And uh, I was fortunate to meet Donald Rumsfeld. He asked me to come visit him because of a piece I'd written defending his heightened interrogation techniques. Mm -hmm. He reached out to me, said, that was incredible. Come see me in D.C. So I went and saw him in D.C. He helped open some doors for me. And then a very popular talk show host uh, reached out to me, and I immediately followed up with him and he reached out to Breitbart, and in 2010, I started writing for him, and that's where it's been. Okay. All right. Uh, you, did you interact a lot with uh, Bannon? Uh, oh, I sure did. Yeah, Bannon for the first, let's guess now, see, 2012 uh, to 2016, Bannon was uh, the guy that I interacted with. And, uh, you know, great Bannon is uh, he's supercharged human and by that I mean it's always go time I don't right. when you're around him he's walking around he's looking at his phone not looking at his phone because he's distracted constantly reading pouring more and more into his head and uh he taught me a lot of things so okay here's uh, give us an idea you know because he uh we saw the institutional takedown of the last presidency and we saw them taking down everyone around him as best they could. We, I've never seen anything like it. The amazing thing about Donald Rumsfeld, you know, it's always, uh, I forget I forget who had said you can judge a man by his enemies. Do you remember right. who said that? No, I do not. God damn, it's a great phrase, though. And I think about it, you know, you look at, you can judge the Donald Trump presidency by the enemies. Right. And it's deep and long. Right. <laughs> the bench is hardy. Right. Um, you know, he went after everything that pisses us off. Right. And uh, maybe it was, maybe he needed a, you know, maybe overall a bigger lesson in some tactics for dealing with a big army when you're, you know, when you're the 300. He right. was the 300 going against right. the army, right? It was the Spartans, right? right. Um, 
he could have taken some classic lessons from Thermopylae, maybe, right? right? And I think about uh, watching everything about him was amazing because you got to see who was against him. Right. And they had to take off their 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 uh, sheep's clothing. Right. And there's a bunch of goddamn wolves chewing away at the soul of our country. Right. Yeah. And, and uh, tell me a little bit about as they, you know, they went after Bannon, obviously, you know, double barrel shotgun. Um, and then uh, somehow or another turned it into he had some scam going at the border and there's an investigation and he's like, screw you guys, bring it on. I'm ready to fight. I like that about him. But what's your personal, you know, the guy that, you know, you worked for him basically. And it sounds like maybe he mentored you a little bit through the process, maybe. Well, what Bannon, well, I'll just say what Bannon taught me is. You don't, you don't, don't, don't allow yourself to be pressured into apologizing when you haven't done anything for which to apologize. No matter how many people line up, you do not apologize. If you haven't, if, if you, you haven't done. Right. Uh, Mia culpa is only when necessary. Uh, an example I'll give you, uh, I wrote a piece after Sandy Hook on uh, Obama's opposition to armed guards or armed teachers. Mm -hmm. And. Uh, I had a source and the source talked to me about the school where Obama's kids attended school. And the source told me how... And they got armed guards everywhere, right? Yeah, but the source also told me where they uh, kept firearms in case of emergency. In, where you, so you could always be close if you needed to, to one. Well, I wrote that and Breitbart got a lot of calls and pressure to take that piece down. And in the middle of all that pressure, and I'm feeling that pressure, and I'm only two years into Breitbart at this point, and very short stint with Steve Bannon at this point. Well, I get a call from Bannon, and I was very nervous. I'm like, oh, no, he's heard this, and he's going to call and say, you don't have a source for this. You didn't. You shouldn't have written. He's going to explode on me, and he calls me. And uh, I go, Bannon, I'm right. And at the same time I was finishing the sentence, in other words, he wasn't even waiting for me to speak. He goes, I know you're right. Write another one. Double down. And hung up the phone. <laughs> and that's what I learned from Steve Bannon. Okay. Because, see, I thought he was going to call me. Well, and, he's got balls. And I was going to have to be embarrassed in front of everybody and say, I'm right, sorry. Right. When I hadn't done anything wrong. Right. No, he was calling to say, I got you. Oh, all right. You know, and uh, that's kind of, uh, matter of fact, I had something come up a couple weeks ago that, I handled it a certain way, and my wife says to me, she goes, see, that's what you learned from Bannon. So, and, and it was a positive thing. I've had some stuff happen, too. I got chewed out by somebody yesterday, and, uh, you know, who had been on my show, and he's in politics, and they're running for a big office. And uh, we had another guest on afterwards, and we had a discussion about that person. And it was straight up. It was accurate, and it was honest. And they called up and bitched out my, my staff about it. And I was like, no apologies. We did nothing wrong. And right. then we sat down and said, let's review and make sure. We went through and looked and said, fuck no, man. This was absolutely dead nuts on. Right. If they can't take this, they shouldn't be in this game. Right. Uh, but, so I get it. You got to stick your guns, man. When you're right, you're right. And uh, and I, I just don't apologize to smooth people over right. either. Well, and that's a tactic of the left. The left can't win the argument, so they want to silence you. And an apology is the first step towards silence. Right. It just is. Mm -hmm. And so I'm not going to give them that first step. Now, if I burp in your face, or, I, you know, hey, I'm going to be the first guy to apologize. Sure, sure. But if what I've done is expose something you were doing or or undercut your lie, then 
Sorry about your luck. You know, it sounds, it's not arrogance on my part. I do this mostly. It's, this is like um, therapy for me. Right. Um, to talk about my country in a very civil way right. and talk about our problems and what we could do to make things better and get people who are running. Well, I mean, you know, I had a U.S. congressman yes, in yesterday to have, to be able to have people in the halls of power come in and sit down and talk in a long format where you can do a deep dive. I feel like I've got some responsibility. I, I'm not trying to expose or gotcha anybody, but I have, I have a responsibility. I'm not playing for one side or the other. I'm just trying to find out information and have a, have a dialogue with right. people. So, uh, you know, if people feel like, Oh, that, that went great. I had a great conversation. Uh, Greg's on my side. Well, I'm not really on anybody's side. I'm really on the country's side. Right. You may come up in conversation later and, and you're going to get some feedback. Right, <laughs> I mean, right. You know, but I'm not going to, I'm not playing for one side or the other. You know, I'm really, I'm really playing for the constitution in my country. Right. And everybody else can fuck right off. I don't right. really care what anybody thinks. Well, and that's kind of where we are though. If you think about it, we've, we've hit a place where you remember the left when they used to run a presidential candidate, like think of Al Gore, that loser, he would. He would talk about how he was going to defend hunting and he was pro Second Amendment. Now, he was lying. Oh, yeah. But see, somewhere between Gore and where we are now, they started running. They were just honest. No, we're going to take away your AR-15. No, we're going to take away this. No, we're going to do a government buyback of that. No, we're going to limit. No, you're going to have to have a permit to carry a gun blank. And so they went somewhere from having bad intentions but hiding them to having bad intentions and being open about it. And at that point... There's really no option other than to be vocally pro-Constitution, vocally pro-Second Amendment, vocally pro-First Amendment, so on and so forth. Because if you're not vocal now, you're going to miss the boat. Well, and, and when they were uh, giving lip service to the Constitution, when they were giving lip service to a plurality of America, it was harder for us to lock and load. Right. But as soon as they went full commie or full Marxist on this stuff or full oppressive, we're like, oh, okay, well, fuck you. Yeah. Because now I don't need to be nice. Let me just throw a brick at you because I'm, I'm you know, verbally, let, let me just throw a brick at you. I'm done because that's what you think. If that's right. really what you think, just say it out loud. Let's make sure and make everybody hear it. Right. And when you were talking about Trump a while ago, I really think that's one of the great things Trump did. I've heard people talk. To me, I've had a few people talk to me and they're like, I, I hate how coarse political dialogue has gotten. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I don't because the, honest. the left has always been that coarse and we've cowered. And then here comes Trump and Trump says, no, it's time to get in here. You get in here and you trade shots with them. You don't you don't bend down. You don't kneel. You don't sit quiet. And Trump not only traded shots, he knocks some folks out. And I, I, that's it. I love him. Yeah. Like, I love him. Yeah. I have no reason loving a brash New Yorker who is out of line right. sometimes. Right. It's not my style. And I love the guy. Right. I, I've ne we've never had power actually speak truth back to us. Not once ever. Right. My friends are all pissed off. You know, I've got friends well, from the entire political spectrum. I'm sure you've got friends across the spectrum. You wonder how your friends or how you're related to them. And you hear them bitch about the tweets. I go, you're just mad because you're actually hearing a man in the office tell you what's on his mind. Right. We've never had a president actually tell us what's on his mind. Right. Everything's prepared. You know, some GW, uh, George Washington University uh, uh, graduate in right. public policy is putting together a paper for him and they present it as they read it off. He's just, you could see him. He's working. Right. Like, well, he's talking. He's kind of working through it with us. Right. I yeah. love that honesty about him. Yeah. And I loved, I loved, I loved it that he was comfortable being himself. 
That was that honesty. Yeah. You knew you were getting the and real. And flawed. You were getting the real Trump. Yeah. And it's the same if I would go back. It was the same with Reagan. You got the real Reagan. And he was flawed, too. And they hated him. They called him the dumb cowboy and this and that. And when I saw the same criticisms being launched at Trump, I'm like, uh-oh, we got something here. This mm-hmm. is We've got the yeah. real deal here. Yeah. Um, I just saw a guy that was to his own self true, and you could tell he loves the country. Oh, yeah. You know, if you've done well in this country, it's hard not to love it. When I see, when you see, you know, liberals who fall into one of the four categories why you're a liberal, I'm guilt. I feel guilty. I have so much money I didn't earn it, so I'm going to be a liberal now right. and be woke. The Hollywood class has so much money, they should be conservatives. Right. It makes no sense at all that they're a bunch of lefties. It right. doesn't make any sense at all. Except that they're completely isolated and out of touch yeah i mean which is what we see with, they are now that's for sure they yeah. are now but you know it just you know i'm I, i'm thinking about what you're saying about trump though I, I i loved him every day i woke up and 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 i'm gonna say it and hopefully it sounds right i woke up and i felt safe like i didn't think that every day i didn't wake up and go wow i feel safe but like i didn't fear uh at any level, Russia could say they're going to do whatever they wanted, China, whoever, but they wouldn't. They wouldn't. Because Trump was in there, and they knew this guy here. After he smoked that leader in Iran, oh. everybody knew, okay, <laughs> they, oh, okay. okay, it's going to be Got that it. way. <laughs> you know, I'm telling you, I can get giddy thinking about it. So, uh, you know, I talk to, because I'm talking politics all the time, and I get around and do these, I go to events and talk to folks. Um I've talked to a lot of women about politics. Now, I don't really know totally what went down with the election. I think there's always chicanery going on. Maybe it was more, maybe it wasn't. Honestly, after a year of talking about it and having the people who were involved in recounts in here, still not totally clear to me. And if I'm not that clear, the general population is not clear. Right. So they're like, okay, enough's enough. Let's get on with business because if you, unless you got a smoking gun, we're done. In the background, politics are going to do what they're going to do and try and shore up where they see leaks. Um, I, I am, it seems like the math says white women abandoned Trump and I'm pissed off at him. And I've been telling women, I'm like, look, you girls, you need to quit thinking like house frows and you need to get serious. Do you want your son, your nephew, or your grandson to go to war? When you vote for soft, uh, milk toast men to run our country, your nephew will go to war in four years. Right. And, oh, no, my nephew won't. There's no draft. He's fucking driving a car home from high school. He'll get a recruiter's office like I did join the Marine Corps. Right. Like, you don't know what they're going to do. I, I call people out all the time. Voting for weakness will send your kids to war, ladies. So open your view up. Get, get your head up um, out of 10 feet in front of you. No, you're right. And historically, right? And you look at Vietnam. Oh, started okay. It started under JFK by sending... Uh, uh, you know, our our unofficial military personnel over there. And then under F, uh, LBJ, whose initials are to be SOB, uh, it only escalated until he got us to a point with the Tet Offensive in January 1968 yeah. where there was no looking back. And it was evident that we were losing under him. And uh, then a Republican finished the war and got us out, uh, you know, Nixon, but... You're exactly right. When these when these soft folks get in there and they think, well, we their idea of a show of force is to throw five thousand guys around a building or on a border versus 
300 or 400 or 500,000 troops who are ready to fight to the death. They think if we do that little show of force, everything will be all right. And what that means is we're going to lose a large portion of those 5,000 troops before they get home. And every troop they send after that in this limited war, we're going to lose at a higher degree than we would if it were total war. And all you have to do is look at total war versus limited war in American history to know that. Anytime we fight where we say, you pull a shotgun, we'll pull a shotgun. Anytime we fight like that, it's worse. It's worse. You pull a shotgun, we will nuke you. If we play that way, we win every time, and we won't lose troops. We might lose two or three, but we won't lose many. Even if we don't like say nuke, we say we will crush you. Yeah. It will be the end of That's you. It. Like, and the thing is, is you got to look across the table and believe a man when he says that. Right. And then you go back to what Bannon said, and you don't apologize for that statement. Right. You don't apologize. You let it sink in. Let them know. No, I mean it. Like you would think the American political class. You know, you watching as a as a as a writer and reporter on what's going on in our country. You would think, even if you don't like Trump, even if you hated Trump and you're a never Trumper who can't see past the fucking nose on your face, you would look at the success, delete the hair, delete the man, and look at the success of policy process and approach, and you'd say, okay, we can play his game. We're just going to put our uniform on. Right. Um, you know, he played one of power, a little bit of unpredictability, you know, a little bit of Wiley Coyote. Good. Uh, and then following through on what you say you're going to do. That's a big thing. Right. You know, when foreign leaders say a leader in the United States, when they see him doing what he says he's going to do, and then he says, don't do that because we will retaliate. They go, oh, he's going to do what he says he's going to do. Right, right. <laughs> Which is how it ought to be. I mean, yeah, it's just amazing under him. But that military deal, you know, I'm thinking still about your point. You see how the reaction to Russia and the Ukraine has been. It's hard to think of greater weakness than we're seeing right now. Oh. And I'm not saying we need to threaten Russia. I'm not talking about threatening, but just show some strength. You know, I've been saying for a while, I, I, I like the chessboard a little bit. And I like studying the people. Putin's interesting. because He's been around long enough. We know about him. You know, like, why haven't we put the fifth fleet in play? You right. know, why haven't we put the first and second Mew in play? You know, why aren't there people move? Why aren't we moving parts on the chessboard right now? You know, you move parts on the chessboard and people start going. Mm. Right. You make them think. All you do is make them pause. You know, um, for it's like the, the ruling class of our country doesn't understand that energy is the pivot on which this world turns. Right. So the first thing they get first thing they do is cancel the Keystone Pipeline, approve a pipeline that we should have never approved, which made Germany connected and independent with Russia. We're approving pipelines over there. We're disapproving them here. We're stopping our own energy here. Raises up the price of oil, funds Russia. Putin has money to fuck with Ukraine. Right. Like, this is just, one, do, do, do. like, you could see this. This is so obvious. If you drive up the price of fuel, you put money in the Russians' pockets. Right. And the, when, when the Russians have money in their pockets, they do stupid stuff. Well, and we've got a president, you may have seen him yesterday, who explains inflation by saying inflation is driven by the rising cost of vehicles. What? How stupid are you? Do you not understand? No, inflation drives the cost of vehicles and everything up. But he doesn't He doesn't know what's causal. He doesn't know the, the cause from the result. <laughs> They, they think the vehicle prices are going up because of inflation. The vehicle prices are going up because there's none available. Right. I mean, it's just... I mean, they're stupid. It's it's the craziest. But it, you had to go to your point, too. And so I know yesterday I went to a gas station in Arizona. 
And uh, premium unleaded was five dollars and nine cents. Five dollars nine cents. That is Biden's America. Yeah. You know what's funny is Trump. Uh, he said some outrageous things, and they 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 had a tendency of coming true. It was almost like the more outrageous it was, you knew he knew that it was like it's like he saw it happen. He's like, oh no no, I saw them shoot that guy in the face. He's a killer. That guy's a murderer. Get rid of him. And you're like, who would call somebody a murderer? Well, he saw it happen. Right. And over time, like these crazy things that he said would just get proven true. One thing after the other. Right. It was pretty amazing to watch. Right. Um, it's curious. We have a really weird dynamic right now. We've got a feckless non-leader with a little Politburo lefties around who are younger. Um, and they're not executive types. They haven't had to be responsible for their decisions. And they get to throw him under the bus for all their bullshit they're pulling right now. We have a real president in absentia who's probably going to get elected again, sitting in the wings, making statements about what what he's going to do with Russia. That's It's a freakish dynamic right now. Right. I've never seen anything like it. Right. Well, the thing that, the thing that makes me nervous, though, is the habit of the guy in the office right now, people that think like him, he's a reactionary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, that's what, what I loved about Trump and Reagan. They, they were preemptive. Mm-hmm. And part of that preemptive nature is what you said. It's not even military. Part of the preemptive nature is you just do what you said you're going to do so that when you come around to saying, you do that, we're going to put it on you, then people go, okay, he means what he says with the military too. But what bothers me is where, we're, where we are right now, Biden is not going to react to China until China takes Taiwan. Then he's going to react. You want some McCallum? Uh, yeah, he's not going to react to Russia until Russia takes Ukraine. Instead of getting out in front of it to prevent either of those things from occurring. And um, good morning. I just I can't figure it out. I mean, I don't know how the left thinks because what they automatically do is they guarantee that our troops, who I support fully, that our troops will be fighting from a posture of weakness, from a disadvantage. And if we could get out in front of these things, we we have an advantage. Because we already have the most powerful military, just let them do their deal. You know, we ha- we saw leftists dealing with ISIS for years, screwing up. Um, we've seen them go through and clear out the general ranks. Um, we've seen a meritocracy kind of guy like Trump show up and express utter dismay at the incompetence of generals. I mean, he did it. He said it out loud. He goes, you know, I remember, I can, this is almost a direct quote. You know, I remember, you know, I used to think generals were like really sharp. They'd be something. They were like the best and the brightest. And now that I've worked with a bunch of them, I just don't think much of them at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, and, and most of them, you know, they're kind of dumb. They're not really, I'm like, oh my God. Well, when he says that, he's not talking out his ass. No, he's not wrong either. He, he says straight stuff. And I've t- I totally agree. Right. Well, it's just like, Think of football. What does NFL mean to you now compared to what NFL meant four years ago? Once it gets politicized, it's not the same game. It's not what your grandpa and your dad used to watch and your uncles, what they used to sit around on Sunday and have their drinks and cheer for. It's not the same thing. Same way with these generals. And I'm not putting a a specific general down, but I'm saying the tendency in the military 
we saw it in Viet- Vietnam, and from then forward, it's continued. It's become a bureaucracy, which is politicized. And the more politicized it gets, the more room there is for a little criticism. And that's what Trump picked up on. I can These guys aren't pure brass anymore like they used to be, the ones he was talking about. They've become politicized. They're agents of the state, whereas they're supposed to be separate and leaders of the military. Yeah. You know, I, I was talking with somebody yesterday, and I said, you name me a fucking career I wouldn't walk away from to do the right thing. There's no star, there's no rank in, in, in the military. I'd be like kissing ass and lying to keep the job. Right. Like where are, where is the courage of these fuckers? And I don't know if you remember, they ran that Marine through the ringer uh, a couple years ago for, oh no, it was on a couple years over Afghanistan. He's like, Hey, someone should be accountable for this. All right. And they ran him out of the military. Right. A guy called for accountability last year. Yeah. For an absolute. He's the only military guy I know that suffered consequences right. for what happened in Afghanistan. But you know the good thing about that? The bad thing about that is we lost 13 military members, which I know you you completely agree with. But the, the good thing about that, it, it more than anything, and I don't know how long, reassured me that there are more real Americans who think like you think, who think like I think, than we ever dreamed. Because Biden lost it all. Biden had a little bit of momentum. And he lost momentum at every level, whether you're talking about foreign policy, whether you're talking about domestic issues, gun control. His opportunity to get gun control was done after Afghanistan because he lost all support because of those 13 deaths. Not only that, I mean, they squandered their political capital faster than I've ever seen anybody get rid of their political capital. Okay, so in my neighborhood, up in our neighborhood-ish, there's a couple Biden flags floating around, and we know who they are because we're like keeping an eye on those some bitches, you know. And uh, this guy's got this. He got a nice house. He clearly did well for himself. He's probably a doc or whatever. He's got a Biden flag up, and it's been up. And I, you know, I always, I, you know, I'm like, should I do a couple of pops out the window at the house? You know, I'm always like, you know, these like crazy fantasies running through my mind as I'm driving, taking the kids to school in the morning. I'm like, oh, should I pull up in his front yard, leave a little positive traction, rip out across the, you know, which I'm, oh, I'm gonna knock that gate down with my bumper one of these days and send him a selfie, you know, standing on his house. And uh, after a couple of weeks ago, the flag came down. His Biden flag came down. Yeah. And I was, and, you know, I, and it's almost like I'm sitting there going, oh, he just got embarrassed for the first time. Uh, um, you know, there's something to be said about letting these ding dongs uh, get in charge. And I wouldn't choose this, but now that they've done it, here's the upside. Everybody gets to see. Right. You get to see it in full effect. Right. I heard uh, the craziest thing being floated yesterday. It was that uh, with uh, Meyer uh, retiring from the Supreme Court that, that uh, Biden was going to uh, Kamala Harris up for the Supreme Court so that he would get a different VP. <laughs> Have you heard anything crazy like that? Well, I've heard that theory. That's probably the most prominent theory. Uh, but uh, you know, I don't. I don't know. I hate to try to guess because who knows what this man will do. But I, that probably literally is the most prominent theory you hear. You know, what's interesting is uh, they've taken one of the hallowed American institutions that was kind of beyond reproach forever. I'm keeping a track for you. I'll get you out on time. That's not what I'm doing. All right. Thank you. Um, I, I, uh, they're turning the Supreme Court into a clown car. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the Supreme Court, no matter what anybody says, they go in for life. They can step outside of politics. They can vote their conscience. It's got a, 
it's got a it, you know it's got a stabilizing effect on the madness of politics because they can check things and 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 the executive and the legislative now we don't do that that won't get through the supreme court you know it's a filter that keeps everybody right. a little bit they, they, right. they know mom and dad are watching but with sotomayor sotomayor whatever her name is she's dumb as a box of hammers I am sure she is affirmative action through every goddamn thing she's done right on in the Supreme Court. And when you hear her talk about issues, she's a moron and she's on the court. Right. Well, and now his filter is I'm going to put a black woman on a black woman. on, And I have no problem with any black woman at all. But that is I never will not talk to someone because they're a black woman. And I won't decide to talk to someone because they're a black woman, right. let alone the Supreme Court. I, I'm flabbergasted. Right. No, I'm with you on that. You're, while you're talking, what I'm thinking about is you want to talk about Trump and one of his great accomplishments, those three justices. Unbelievable. Because no matter what the Democrats do, it's 6-3. No matter who he puts in Breyer's place, it's 6-3. If the Republicans will fight to block it, then we win the Senate in 2022. Maybe it goes from 6-3 to 4-2. I mean, that'd be very difficult. I know that's fantasy land talk. But at least maybe we have it at three two at 6-2 for a while even. So we can win things. Just don't let them put another one on. I, I play to win politics. I don't believe compromise. Uh, I If I were in charge of the Senate, if I were McConnell right now, we're in charge of the Republicans, that is, I'd be getting everybody in the room going, guys, we're we're not giving up on this. We're not going to let this happen. And all they have to do is pull cinema. If they have all 50 Republicans and you pull either cinema or mansion to your side. Well, you know, and Manchin can't risk. He can't risk putting a pro gun control oh, guy or I'm, person on because he has to face West Virginia voters. Yeah. And West Virginia, number one, one of the greatest states in the union as far as natural beauty. Number two. As far as real Americans, mm -hmm. that is a that is a state full of real Americans. Manchin can't go back and face him if he supports someone pro gun control. No, it, there's you know, and there's been a there's been a shift as you know when we were younger. I don't know you you and I are probably about the same age. When we were younger, uh, our I don't know if your grand my grandparents were Democrats, right? Um, and it was because they were pro working person, and 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 you know they were skeptical when Reagan came around, and then one voted for Reagan and one didn't. And and then the second time they both voted for Reagan. Um, it was um, the old Demo there's a there's a legacy Democrat that's still around who's really a Republican, right? Um, something's gone on crazy in this state. You live here and you've seen it. I I don't know too many people who even say out loud they're a Democrat. That would be like saying you're in the John Birch Society out in Los Angeles. You know that not something you'd do, right? <laughs> Um, there, I don't know anybody who, I don't know anybody who doesn't have guns out here. Even my Democrat friends are like, they have guns and like, well, you should be able to have guns. But, uh, I, what something's gone on mayor of Phoenix, Democrat, mayor of Tucson, Democrat, mayor of Flagstaff, Democrat, right? Democrat senators. We got a Republican governor who's quiet, right? I don't know what's happened. Something's wrong. And that's why. There's so much state madness going on over elections right now because something doesn't make sense to many of us because I don't know too many Democrats. I mean, I know a lot of people. And you, when you run into people who's how many how many Democrat signs do you see up around the state? Right. When you drive around. I mean, are they all just in hiding? Right. I can't think of any place I've seen. one. I think I have counted. I've seen three Biden bumper stickers. 
for the most populous landlocked state in the union, three Biden bumper stickers, that's not a lot. And so I, I know that when I first met an individual, I'm not going to say his name, about two years ago, I said something, and he misheard it, and he goes, oh, Hawkins is a Democrat. And that was his way of putting me down. Right. That's how predominant what you're talking about is. We're so red in our mentality, so Republican. So that's why I don't get as, it. As you talk, though, there I don't I don't I don't want to get into anything you don't want to get into. But there are there are certain people running for uh, office right now that I believe if those people can win, the things you're talking about are going to be fixed. And uh, who are those people that you like for that for those fixes? Carrie Lake. You like Carrie? I really like her. Uh, I've had a lot of time with her. Okay. And what I like about her is she's a Trumper. She is going to say some things. She, and I don't say this in a negative way. I know it sounds weird to say it. She's like a female Trump. And she is going to say some things that are going to hit you wrong. Where you were talking about a while ago, Trump could be a little more whatever this way or could have curtailed that statement that way. Lake is probably going to do those kinds of things. But the thing is. Blake is also going to be the first person to say, you come and take it. She's going to be the first person to build the wall. She's going to be the first person to do all these things to be sure parents control education. She's going to destroy school boards as best she can. Just going to make it so difficult for those school boards to operate unless they're operating in a way that honors what parents want. And uh, I don't know. She's a fireball. You know, I'm not saying there aren't other people, but I'm saying I've had a lot of time with her. And I've had time with her in different settings, and I've seen her, and I've heard her speak in different settings, and there's a consistency there and a love for America. And uh, I just happen to be a fan, but uh, like I say, there may be other people. Yeah. Anybody else you see on the state horizon? Uh, well, I'd see in Tucson, but it's he's state candidate, but for a federal office, Eli Crane, yeah. S- SEAL Team 3 uh, sniper, and... You're talking about loving America. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he, he wants to get in there and do, you know, and Eli and our friends, let me say that. He but, came in. He did the show. So did Kerry. E- Eli and I spoke, and uh, this is this says more about him than I believe anything I can say. I called him one day. I go, Eli, I, go, I just want to tell you, I love you. And I go, but when you're on Fox and stuff, sometimes you look angry. And I said, now, when. When I used to, when I just started, like I went on Piers Morgan and different things years ago, when I started making those appearances, I had someone who'd sit down with me and they'd say all kinds of things to me to try to make me frown. And I had to learn to smile through it and control the conversation. And by the way, I destroyed Piers Morgan. I destroyed him. But anyway, I told Eli, uh, Eli, I said, you know, it seems like you, when you're on, you just look so mad and disgruntled. And he just goes, A-Dub, that's what he calls me. He goes, I go, yeah, he goes, I am mad. Yeah, And I go, well, I'm just saying, maybe if you smile. And and I said, I'm never going to call you and talk about this again. I just want to say it one time as an observation. He goes, well, I appreciate it. He goes, but I just want to tell you, I am mad. And I hope when people see it, they know I'm serious. And that did more for me than anything he could have said. And I've watched him since that time. And this man, of course, you know he already loves America. He dropped out of college after 9-11, didn't finish his degree. So he could go be a war fighter and yeah. save this nation from mm-hmm. those kind of attacks. Right. And now here he is ready to save it again in a different way. I'm all for him. Yeah. I, uh, you know, one of the things when you start doing stuff on camera, uh, when you start sitting at a desk, when you start being behind a microphone, 
Um, not everybody's really comfortable with that, and right. so their buttholes have a tendency to pucker up. <laughs> they get the butthole puckered up face. Um, you know, I'm pissed off too, and uh, to be able to have a friend to call up, you know, people got to say every now and then, hey, man, you, you need to kind of lighten up. Say what you got to say, but you got to lighten up. You're turning people off. Like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, I, uh. I've had times where I'm so mad. You know, years ago, I was, you know, I was like, hey, get rid of the TV or we're divorced like tomorrow. Like, right. We, we, we got to calm down. Right. And I was like, all right. You know, I'm like, I'm locking load, ready to shoot the TV. Right. You know? Well, I want to say about him, though, I just want to follow that. Uh, Eli's like a brother to me. We hunt together. We go to Texas and hunt. We, I go down there to Tucson probably once every three weeks and we shoot semi long range. And the things he can do with a firearm, his knowledge with a long gun. It'll blow your mind. I mean, and and his love for our country is next level. So that one phone call was just an observation that I'll never make with him again because once is enough. Friends make a statement, and yeah. that's it. You yeah, do yeah. it because you're buddies. Right. But I'm going to tell you what. I hope he wins, and I hope he wins so big that that his victory makes Democrats in New York cry. I mean, it. I hope it's that big. Because if he and those other four SEALs can get into the House... That's a big deal. We're going to make some changes. The SEAL contingent. Yeah. And so I'm... God bless every one of those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Talk to me about um, any... Uh, are there any... I mean, obviously, you've got a career, you know, very uh, needle on the record with Second Amendment, so to speak. Um, what do you see on the horizon with Second Amendment? I mean, I look at it just from my little perspective, and I see uh, the Democrats have basically unknowingly played completely into our hands. Um, lawlessness and this, uh, the, all of these prosecutors that were funded by George Soros and the Democrat Party, Nancy Pelosi, they're meddling, which has dismantled wonderful cities around this country and made citizens afraid of beautiful American cities. They've almost played right into our hand uh, about having firearms. And I don't hear a lot of get rid of firearms talk going on right no. now. So I, what, what, give me a little sense of what's your hot topic right now with Second Amendment. Well, and to say what you said, uh, you mean, I, you know, you hear the left defund the police, defund the police. But to say what you said, I haven't heard any follow-up talk. Defund Smith & Wesson or defund Sig Sire. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. to make no, your, they've been sold out. They've been sold out. So... I think you're exactly right. And, you know, I just wrote this morning, let's go back to 2020. We had, what, eight, a little over 8 million first-time gun buyers, 2020. And that's, that's when all the hysteria went up. That's amazing. That's just first-time gun buyers. Those are potential conservatives. That's like, it. I love that. See, and that's it. That's the other thing we got to be honest about. Con per purchasing a gun is transformative because all is. of a sudden, I understand independence. Self-power. Yeah. You want a woman to feel empowerment? You... You get that woman a firearm and work with her and teach her how to use it. You don't work with her because she's dumb, because she's a woman. I'm not saying that because that's, no. that's what the left will say I just said. No, what I mean, man or woman, if they get a gun, I always offer, I go, you want to get together and we'll shoot some and I'll show you some, you know. You want to be confident with it. It changes people. And it changes them. And so over 8 million in 2020, in 2021, 5.4 million new gun owners. So we're at... We're at, what, over 13 million new gun owners. And I wrote a, on a piece in The Economist last week that other people had missed. And The Economist said, look, this diversity in gun gun owners is bad for the gun control movement. Yeah, it is. They admitted it. Yeah. It's bad. And you know why it's bad? Because, as we just said, it's transformative. When someone gets a gun, 
whether it was their ex-husband bullying them, a boyfriend bullying them, or whether they're frightened for their kids because of the gang down the street, now she's sitting in the house with a Glock 17 with three or four 17-round magazines and some good hollow points, and if they come through the door, she doesn't have to beg anymore. You know, she can put it on her terms real quick. And it's also, and I like to let people know this, and I always do gun tourism. Whenever people I know internationally come in for business, or for, I always like to take them shooting because it's transformative. Right. Because the thing about the founding fathers and this statement, inalienable human rights, these inalienable rights, right. life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and freedom, right? they're inalienable from us in, unless someone suppressed them our whole life and we don't know. Right. But when you shoot a firearm and they get over that little fear and adrenaline that happens in that newness, the empowering thing that happens is self-empowerment. Right. And self-empowerment, what is the most important thing about walking through the world? Walking with your chin up, not being afraid. Right. That'll, that stops most attackers. You don't even need to pull. You don't need to pull a gun if you walk around right. with your chin up engaging people like, oh, that's not a stray gazelle. Right. I'm, I'm going to go for a stray gazelle. I'm not going for that one. That one sees me coming. Right. There is something about being empowered. And then you start calling bullshit because right. you're not afraid. Right. And when you're not afraid, freedom is an amazing virus. Right. It's a virus of, I, I say it's a divine virus. Right. It gives you clarity. And like, oh, no, you, you're you not going to do that. Right. Why not? Well, because you can't. Right. <laughs> and why not? Well, because you can't. Right. That's, the, I don't need to mind, blah, 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 blah. no, because you can't. You can't do that. That's not your right. Right. That's empowering. Right. And they do not like that. Well, you know, something you said, and you've seen this as much as I have with people you've helped, uh, you know, but some of my wife's friends who are thinking about getting a gun or just got a gun, they'll reach out and they'll ask if we can go out and shoot it and they can, and it's, and in a half hour's time, you can, you think of that first picture and how that woman will stand kind of leaning back on, she's on her heels shooting which is exactly the wrong way to shoot. Right. But you talk to her, you move her, you explain why, you lean into the gun, you push it out, and you do all this. In a half hour's time, you turn around and you look at that same woman. She's leaning forward. She's got that arm out. She's got those arms out. She's shooting with confidence. You hear the steel. Ding, 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 ding. Who knows where her first shot went. Right. But now, literally, if it's an eight-shot mag, she's hitting eight in a row, no problem. And she's going, I want to buy that gun right there. That's the one I want. And what's happened is that transformation you're you're talking about and I'm talking about, it happened in 30 minutes. Yeah. 30 minutes. She went from 30 minutes scared and what's my ex-boyfriend going to do to me to, hey, I need a gun. I'll fix all this. Everything I hear, purple-haired, heffalump, lesbian, Black Lives Matter, all of these women complaining about is all fear-based. Right. And you get them all a day of firearms training, it changes their politics. Now, they may, the ring in the toilet bowl may be still how their brain's fucked up, but that'll sort itself out. Because you get people free and self actualized, they start doing the ultimate thing. They start being accountable right. and they start hold people around. And then they're what you and I were talking about. They're not reactive anymore, they're proactive. Right. So you see someone when they first shoot, on their heels, scared, they're they're in reaction mode. Then you see them a half an hour afterwards, 
They're on their toes, knees bent, slightly athletic, leaned forward, shoulders down, looking forward. You see them focusing. And that's a metaphor for life that happens. And and people who laugh and cast aspersions at Second Amendment, people and gun people clinging to our guns in our Bible and, you know, deplorables. These are folks that are a little more on their toes and they're leaning into life and they're a little more prepared for what's coming and they're not as reactive. Right. And there were, what, we added 23, well, we didn't add, but there were 23 million guns purchased, I think, in 2020. That's an approximation. There were... I only got a few of them. There Just, were eight, I mean, I only got a couple. <laughs> there were 18 to 20 million purchased last year. So that's the other thing, too. The left has also lost there, particularly as what you talked about happened. They criticize the police. They try to disband the police so we have more gun purchasers, more concealed carriers, constitutional carriers now in 21 states. It's on the verge of passing in Ohio, Florida, uh, Nebraska, and Georgia. And so if that happens, we're going to be at 25 states, half the union. <laughs> And so what's happened is that little group of Second Amendment people, they like to make fun of that little fringe group, but it's not fringe anymore. No, it's getting it, big. It hadn't been fringe for a while, no. but now it's evident. Yeah. And that's that's to your point, too. That's why the left has played into our hand on this. They don't like guns, and they don't know why. And I've known why for years. Right. They don't like guns because we're free. And when you are... Not have a gun locked in a box you haven't taken out in three years. When you have guns slightly interwoven into your ethos, your worldview, your culture, you're free. no one can push you around. Right. You can think independently. You can't be a sheep. You won't run with the herd. You'll do your own thing. Right. You may run with the pack, but when the pack makes a wrong choice, you go, no. Well, it's to make your point, I say, too, you know, I don't need them because I have a gun. Right. That's it. People say, you know, what's the first thing you do when you hear a bump in the night? I don't call the police. They won't be there in yeah. 20 minutes. It'll all be over by then. Way over. I look down if my dog's ears are up. I know I might want to grab the pistol that's right by the bed. And uh, then I'll I'll do my walk down the hall with the flashlight. Or I'll grab that Mossberg 590M I keep by the bed. And I've got a 15-round mag in it. Counting the one in the hole, that means I've got 16 rounds of 12-gauge love for whoever's in that hallway. And so... If the dog's ears are up, we'll get busy. But if they're not up, I go right back to sleep because I don't, I don't live in fear because right. I know right. if in five minutes the dog's ears are up, I can handle that. And then you'd hear people from the outside say, well, who wants to live like that? What do you have all these guns in your house for? And what do you, what do you mean live like that? <laughs> all afraid. I'm not afraid at all. I'm not even almost afraid. I, no, not even slightly afraid. I'm, I'm like, kind of like. Wake me up if there's something interesting. But, but. <laughs> that's called not being afraid. But I was thinking when you were talking. See, that's that's how free people live. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's just how they do. And, uh, you know, as you'll go around in Second Amendment circles for years and years and years, you may never run into one person who's drawn down in the c- civilian world and shot somebody. Right. You might have to be in your position where it's your living and you write about it to run into those folks. But like me, I I think in all the people I've talked to, I might have run into one person who's you know, I ran into somebody who said they shot somebody, and I didn't believe it. And they were real famous. And then a couple other people, and uh, they pulled a firearm, and it de-escalated things. I don't know if I know anybody who's actually pulled a firearm and shot anybody. I may be, I think we had a customer come in. Oh, you remember that dude who was down on the freeway on the way to Tucson? He had a criminal background, had a firearm on him, but he had gotten his rights back. And a cop was being beat up by somebody, and he shot the dude. Oh, yeah. We met that guy. Yeah. He came but, across as pretty humble to me. Yes. 
but you know, it's rare to run across people who've actually. Yeah. You know, I, have, I have a friend who has. He he dumped a magazine on somebody, <laughs> and uh, but for good reason. He pulled in, and the individual was either making his way into his home or coming out of his home. And uh, but anyway, that's that's neither here nor there. I'm like you; it is rare. But you know what it goes to though. He goes to that often made statement by whether you Rumsfeld or W. Bush, they would talk about how uh, we have to be right every time, but the terrorist only has to be right once. It's mm -hmm. the same way here. I have to be prepared every day, period. All the, all the criminal has to do is catch me at 15 seconds of any given day when I'm not prepared. That's right. all he's got right. to do. Right. And so, as you were talking about our founders a while ago, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness, the greatest of those being life— I only have one life. Right. And they take it. It's 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 not like you can go, okay, we'll try again tomorrow, Hawkins. You right. get another life. No, it's not a video game. It's gone. So you have to live prepared every day to defend that one greatest possession, and that is your life. And that's why our founders framed the whole of the Bill of Rights around that idea. And that's why the Second Amendment is there. The, the hinge of the Second Amendment is self-defense, to preserve that right. Right. And so— but as you say, you say all that, and I carry a gun every day, everywhere, and I'm not uptight, and I'm not scared, right. and I'm not paranoid. That's what they think about us, though. I'm not worried about anything. I know, I know I'm not either. I'm like, absolutely, I'm the, right. I'm the opposite of worry. Yeah. But everybody, that's one of the first things, you know, people will say to you at a cocktail party. Well, what are you so afraid of walking around with a gun on you? Right. You carry a gun all the time. Right. What are you up to? What, what's so scared of? I'm like, what are you talking about? I'm the opposite of scared. Yeah. <laughs> well, see, what I struggle with, I'm so relaxed that sometimes I fear that people, <laughs> people, well, I know they do. I've heard them. They don't take me serious. They think I'm just joking about life. I'm that relaxed. Mm -hmm. But I'm not joking about life. I'm living life, and I'm just relaxed because I know I'm in a place that if something happened right now, if someone came through that door, we can stop it. If someone comes through my bedroom door, we can handle it. So I don't have things I have to worry about. Right. It allows you to be kind of be in the moment. Right. Right. Uh, you know, it's funny, and I love the hypocrisy of the people who tout all these limitations on us because they're all running around thoroughly healed. Everybody's right. got a gun around them. Right. They're, they're, they're in a bubble made by guns. Right. But that's what I was saying about those Hollywood people. They live in a bubble, right? Well, they can't go to the, they can't can't go to the Emmys without presidential level controls all around the building, right? They're also scared. They're scared to death something's going to happen to them. Yeah, and it's just like, I had an old dog that died last year, and I told everybody this, and the people that knew that dog knew, uh, but he was a pit mix, and he just happened to be a perfect dog. Being a pit doesn't make you a great dog. I think it's how you're raised and different things, but. I'd, I'd take that dog in any inner city, take that dog in my handgun and sleep, no problem. Wouldn't even worry about it. And, <laughs> I mean, I'd just give me a blanket and I'll find a good corner and know what's coming. And uh, I wouldn't have any problem. But the people who criticize us, the, what I've noticed is they don't have that peace of mind. Oh, no. They operate from a platform of fear. That's why they're wearing masks and getting jabs yeah. and they're all afraid to go to the grocery Scared store. Scared to death the all the time. Chicken shit. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, I, you know, part of the, you know, you get around long enough, you do the guns, you do this, you do that, you do knives, you do politics, you do writing, you do, you know, we're all on a human journey, right. and uh, part of that self-actualization process, breaking away from our parents, seeing what they skipped, 
that we have to fill in the gaps for our, our, as our job is individuating the humans. And then how to walk through the life. Right. Because we are all walking straight towards our death. Right. Every one of us. And uh, I think it's important to know that death comes and, and kind of embrace it. Because you, you stop worrying about mass. I, I'm not talking about being reckless. I understand. You don't sweat the little shit and the shit you can't control. And you remember that life is the most important thing. Right. So enjoy it. Well, that's what I love when they come out and they say, well, the fourth J I won't protect against Omicron. I'm like, well, I'm glad I skipped the first three then. I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> Man, I've been right four times. <laughs> I've been every, right. I don't even know it. Every time you say I, I'm going to be more right with the fifth jab, I feel even righter. But see, the, the only reason I haven't had a vaccination is unlike those people, I'm not ruled by fear. Like I right. thought, well, I've had the flu. Hmm, I've had the flu. I've had pneumonia. Pneumonia can get scary. Yeah. But. You know, so why would I fear getting the flu again? Uh, the flu under a different name. You and, you, know? and, you know, sometimes it's just like the lesser of evils. I fear experimental genetically modified drugs that have been around for over a decade. They were afraid to put in the public. Why? There's only two reasons you're afraid. One, you're not going to make money. Two, there's too much liability. Right. And they were going to make money no matter what. So why didn't they put it out 10 years ago? They didn't mention it for swine flu. They didn't mention it for avian bird flu. They didn't mention it for this, that, or the other. What am I more afraid of? Am I more afraid of what I see going on with people who get sick or an experimental thing? I just, I'm going to choose the lesser of two evils. Well, I'm going to go with that. I'm just going to let my natural thing rip it. And, right. and, and, you know, they say the average person who died has got four comorbidities. I only have one. I'm kind of overweight. That's right. it. I don't have any other comorbidities. So I just decided, I just, I made a logical scientific choice. Right. <laughs> right. It drives and people crazy. The thing is, you can, I don't know. I, I had a, I had a problem uh, a year and a half ago with a blood clot in my left, my left leg. Mm -hmm. And I, I got to thinking then about the people who live by fear. And I thought, wow, you can get, this is to your point. You can get all the vaccinations. You can do everything. You can take all the pills. You can avoid all the buttery foods. You can not eat this type of meat, only that. You can do all of that. And then sit home at night and not know it, have a blood clot on the inside of your thigh, and you'll die before morning comes. Yeah. And so people just have to understand, that's to your point, in one way or another, we're all going to face death. It's coming. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to live the time I have between now and then in fear. I'm just not going to do it. Yeah, me neither. And that, you know, for everybody out there who's watching this, I think, I, I think you know, we have a lot of, t when people say, oh, I carry, you know, the Second Amendment is for self-defense or for hunting. And when I hear people talk about that, I'm always like, listen, the Second Amendment is for stopping the government. That's what it's for. Everything else are subsidiary uh, reasons along the way and rationales. And I'm fine with that. But I like to not go down the rabbit hole. Like when people say hunting, go, da -da 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 -da, not for hunting. Right. They didn't need a law for hunting. Everybody hunted in 1783. Right. Well, you you know someone you would love, and this is going to sound like the most weird off the wall statement, but Governor Pete Ricketts of Nebraska. I was with him at Shot Show. He was there one day, and I was with him, and I interviewed him. And he was in a setting where he was talking to a lot of people at first, and different states were talking about hunting opportunities in their state. And then they talk about to introduce him. They're talking about hunting opportunities in Nebraska, and he's like, "Yeah, we got them." But he goes, "I want y'all to understand right now, the reason we have guns so we could stop this federal government." Yep. And you could tell, you know, every, almost everyone there agreed with him, 
But you could just. They were uncomfortable. You could, uncomfortable, but I, I'm sitting there going, why are you uncomfortable? That's just Federalist 46. That's what James Madison wrote. That's it. You, you know, everyone tries to, uh, intellectuals try and divine what the Second Amendment's about. You don't have to. Right. There are books and chapters written by the guys who put it there, and everybody who said, no, we're not signing that document until you get that Bill of Rights thing. And, and they didn't make it the Ninth Amendment. It wasn't a 14th. Right. It was right up there with, you can pray to God, say the truth, and carry a gun. That's it. I mean, it's that's it. It's right up there with your 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 freedom to choose your God belief. Right. Oh man. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, it's just a perspective for people who. You know what? I, I'll tell you something. You must know this as a, as a history student. Um, the left, and, and and so here's what's interesting: if you are educated. You know, I went to college, you went to college, went a little further than I did. If you went to college and you're a conservative, you've been liberal indoctrinated. I, I got waterboarded in leftism. Right. Okay? If you're a liberal and you went to college, you didn't get waterboarded in conservatism. You don't know. Right. So all of us conservatives who get educated, we're actually, we know their playbook. They don't know ours. Right. So when we talk to them, I don't know if you know this, I find at the professional political level and almost all the way to the bottom grassroots, they're ill-equipped to have a factual discussion about their belief for which they're willing to throw you in jail. Right. And they're so certain they have no, they don't have a country's fucking idea about why they believe what they right. believe. Right, and you can see that because a lot of them, if you try to have a serious conversation, even the, the, the calmest person, they'll get mad. Right, and that anger, it just that anger is just a, I believe it's a natural response, or it's it's a natural response to the fact that they have no rational footing to stand on, and and it it gets them nervous. So they either they'll start laughing real loud, or they'll get fighting mad, and either one of those is a giveaway. This person. Not only do they not understand me, they don't even understand their own worldview. They're not of substance. They live on. They live on assumptions. Yes, they're living on what Don Lamont's telling them. Right. You know, they they know you could, you could tell they they have very strong opinions and no idea why. Right. So I always love to ask them their opinions, and then I say, well, "Well, tell me how you got there. What do you what do you believe about that?" And what you find is they generally don't have more than a couple sentences. Right. And you go, gosh, you know, that, that's John Stuart Mill's egalitarianism that you're talking about. Yep. And they go, well, uh, you know, they don't know because they, 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 they haven't read about it. But what you're doing, too, the value of what you're doing can't be overestimated because uh, you think of the Socratic method, which is what you're using, where what all you're doing in a respectful manner. You ask them questions. Not to, I'm not asking them questions to teach them something. I'm asking them questions to admit what they already don't know. They just don't know they don't know it. I want to show that there's a break between their assumptions and what would be their foundation, that the two aren't in harmony, that you can't go from A to B in a linear fashion because there are no connecting dots. They have just absorbed all of this bumper sticker mentality. Mm -hmm. And they're sure it's right, so they're very vocal, but they've never tested it. They have a facade of belief. And uh, when you have a facade of belief, you know, Aris I, I can't remember now when I was reading the ancient Greeks, but it was either Aristotle or Socrates had talked about when you're trying to change a man's mind, you can't bring him to yours. 
you have to nudge them off of theirs. Mm-hmm. That's very, very different, right? right? We have a tendency to argue from where we're at. And I like to go right over to where they're I go, oh, I know where you're at. Right. I, I kind of get, oh, I've heard this. I've seen this playbook. I watched I watched the Bears last year. Right. And then and go, well, tell me, how, how, what do you think about that? And how, how come that happened? And, and, I, and, I, and I like to just calmly, sometimes I get surprised. Right. But not, not, not lately and not much. Right. And what you generally find out is, you know, people don't know. It's like people who are trying to really convince you to believe in God or their religion or their church. You start asking them, they don't know much about religion either. But I'm like, that's faith-based, and that's cool, and we'll just call it faith-based. And, you know, since you don't make decisions with your faith about, like, how I drive my car, you can't go ahead and have your faith. There's no problem. But when you start uh, telling me what I can't do in my house on your other faith-based decisions, I go, okay, well, let's talk about your reason on that. I want to know why you think that. And uh, what you find is they're just empty buckets. And I have the best success nudging people into right. My grandfather used to say, Greg, he's just wrongheaded. He's wrongheaded. Right. Uh, he's from Texas, you know. He say, "Oh, he's just wrongheaded." Wrongheaded or he's got it ass backwards. <laughs> oh, ass backwards. Yeah. yeah. Uh and I just try to I try to nudge people around in their own bucket because right. usually they've got a facade of stickers on the outside of their bucket and there's not much inside. And usually what they don't understand people uh if I'm picking up on what you're saying, if I'm getting the right image, the kind of people you're talking to who uh those are people I've met who are usually critical of classic religion like Christianity or something, but they don't understand that their life is a life of faith because science has said, the CDC has said these cloth masks don't work, yet these people are screaming and hollering people for not wearing cloth masks. They're screaming and hollering people for not having the fourth booster, even though the manufacturer of the booster says it won't protect against Omicron. And so what they don't understand is they have a world that's based on a faith. They have a faith-based life also. It's a faith-based life. And whatever that is, that pseudoscience that they've adopted, that's not even real science. But they can't wait to tell you or me to follow the science. Well, I am following the science, and I believe that the antibodies that my body produces, I'll be just dandy, you know? Yeah. yeah. And you know what? You and I'd be having a different discussion if one in 10 people dropped dead. We'd have been up because our fear level would have been touched differently. Right. That's a damn different conversation. Right. But when you start saying, you know, one in a thousand, and I start going, oh, okay, well, hold on a second. Before we just up in and flip over the entire house of cards here what's one in a thousand really mean let's look take a look at that and then who's it getting oh you got a four comorbidities okay well then you know what i'm gonna go to work you got a 90 year old with half a lung and three valves three valves in his heart that are uh messed up and it killed him and i hate that because that's somebody's grandpa i hate that yeah but guess what it doesn't mean it's gonna kill me right right uh it's been an interesting, little bit of an interesting wake-up call. And what's crazy is, you know, this is the first time in, in history where we're all getting to see it everywhere. It's on every channel. And they whooped up they whooped up the fear. Right. Because it would have never come to this if we didn't have all of this bombardment of visual. And, and, what, and you know, you, I'm sure you've been with press people before as, 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 a, as a writer. They don't want to take pictures of banal stuff. They want to get the most sensational thing they can. So they get the raise, the promotion, the job, the whatever. That Now it's the clicks and the views. So all we're filled with is sensationalism. Right. So everybody thinks hospital beds are filled everywhere. The morgues are overflowing. There's mass graves in New York. It's bullshit. Right. 
Yeah, well, a lot of this, in my opinion, this is only my opinion, a lot of this you say whooped up was whooped up in order to undercut Trump's economy because he was unbeatable with that right. economy. Right. Unbeatable. Right. You know, Biden can try to take credit all he can for where the Dow is right now. Everybody who watched knows Trump built that up and he built it by getting out of the way so the American people could do their thing. Yeah. Removing regulation, cutting taxes. Yeah. And well, the Democrats, their only way they could beat that was to create this false hysteria and shut the economy down. And in my opinion, that was their great success in 2020. And, uh, but they it, created so much momentum. It's, it's, it's getting out. them. Yeah. It's played out. Yeah. You know, uh, ask Neil Young. Oh yeah. No kidding. <laughs> I, I, I don't know where to listen to him anymore. Yeah. Well, I didn't even know uh, he popped up at first. I just went, ah, Oh, that's Neil Young. I mean, yeah. I'm like, who's that old lady? <laughs> I'm like, who's that angry old Isn't lady? A lady or hair's brown or sideburns are gray. I'm like, isn't that fucker Canadian? <laughs> Fuck him. <Yeah. laughs> I mean, I, I guess he became an American so he could vote against Trump. Oh, well, that's F great. Um, you know, uh, you got any big things you're working on right now? You can give us a little, uh, little peek behind the curtain. No, I mean, uh, I just write every day. I'd shoot all I can, uh, kick around on my Instagram and, uh, what's your Instagram page at a W R underscore Hawkins. And because of the way Instagram works, you have to type the last S in Hawkins before you'll see me. Uh, but it's a w r underscore Hawkins. But Hawkins. I, I love I love doing all those things, and um, you know, it, I feel like we're in a good spot right now. And that in twenty twenty two, which this is, but in November of this year, we take the House or the Senate. We could take both, but I'm not even greedy. If we take one or the other, we shut this shit down. Biden's a lame duck. He's already a lame duck. I'm with you, but I mean, he's a official I know. lame duck. Uh, I, listen, I you know it's funny. People have been pissed off all year, and I was pissed for uh, probably four months, and then I started to see the writing on the wall, and I went, oh, "Okay, all right, we get to see this play out. Hopefully, they don't get us into war by then." Now we got Trump on the sidelines saying, "When I become president, this will not have this will not stand." Forty fifth and forty seventh. Oh my God! I saw that. And I was like, "Yes." You know, he. You know, I'll tell you. If I were him, uh, I think he's doing the right thing. Don't say until you know the Congress is yours, and now you know you can come back as president and not have to deal with bullshit impeachment the entire time. Right. Let's come in like a baller, and he's going to come in with no reelection on the horizon, and and. We're going to get to see the second Four time years. a guy turns a country on. Right. He just turned the country on with a flip of a switch. Right. Well, you know, something Something you made me think about a while ago, and I'm not really leaving where we are, but you were talking about liberals who come out of college versus conservatives who come out of college, and you were contrasting. I think one of the great contrasts right now is that uh, heart transplant patient in Virginia, they won't give him a heart because he's not vaccinated. Right. Now, if conservatives were in charge of that situation, he get a heart right now because the most important thing is life. Is life, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness in that order, and so, you know, that's a difference. Ideologues and leftists are ideologues most often. Ideologues put their ideology before oh. even human life. Yeah, yeah. Whereas we, as conservatives, go, you know what? This man needs to preserve that life at all costs. Let's yeah. get him. Let's save life. We'll sort it out later. Yeah, we'll sort it out later. Yeah. 
Well, listen, um, I know you've got things to do and you got to go. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to come over and spend a few moments with us. I love talking to Americans who are, I love talking to uh, right-minded Americans. And I love, I love talking to smart, wrong-headed Americans. Right. I love, I love talking to, I, I, I love talking to a smart lefty. Um, and because I not open my heart and my mind and actually listen and, right. I, and I'm, I'm comfortable dialogue and I don't get afraid by that. But I like having uh, folks come in who are out there having the fight, writing about it. I know you've been recognized for your work on Second Amendment uh, writing and defense, and we really appreciate it. Well, thank you. And I appreciate what you're doing here and the knives you're making. I mean it. They are absolutely incredible. And the fact that the first thing that they told me is how you source your parts and your metals and your everything from the u.s and it's just phenomenal to have that pro u.s from start to finish and uh that's it you know i just well, i love it and the the beauty it's everything though the beauty the mentality of the people that I talk to them by mentality i mean their commitment their love of the products they're making yeah just incredible well you can see it walk when you walk around the place you know Lindsay, who gave you the tour I mean, <laughs> she's about as right wing as you get. I mean, she yeah. punch a lefty right in the mouth. She she's a hardcore right winger. Yeah. I and most of the gals in the building are. It's like I've got this group of folks who've kind of glommed on and said, "Okay, he's a lunatic," and uh, it makes me not seem crazy. Right. Well, that's <laughs> awesome. I appreciate the time to be with you. Well, thanks for being here. All right, guys, that's the show for today. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, check out AWR underscore Hawkins with an S at Instagram. You'll also see him around on Breitbart News. And I imagine other publications that pick up your stories from time to time. But you can Google him. His stuff pops up. Talking about and defending the Second Amendment. And talking about and defending the core thing about being an American. Which is life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. The first of which... His life and the ability to defend it and protect it. That's everybody's God-given right. I recommend you all go find a liberal, go find a lefty, take them out shooting and let them find their little American self. Because in everyone you know, there is a little John Hancock. There's a little Benjamin Franklin. There's a little George Washington. There's a little John Adams and Thomas Jefferson trying to claw their way out and become an American. Go find them and help them find themselves. Greg Medford from The Greg Medford Show. I'm out.